Good morning, Philadelphia, and welcome to Pulling Focus. I'm your host, Gretchen Clausing, here on 106.5 FM in Philadelphia. This is the radio program that zooms in on what's happening in Philadelphia in independent cinema, in moving image culture, here in the city and beyond. Today we are continuing our celebration of National Poetry Month, but this time adding jazz to the mix. April is designated as Jazz Appreciation Month in Philadelphia, and here at WPPM, we have been pulling out all the stops, highlighting the tremendous community of jazz musicians of all genres and generations. I'll be playing some seminal jazz film tracks from film noir to the French New Wave. And in just a few minutes, I will be having a conversation with poet Beth Feldman Brandt, who was commissioned by the Philadelphia Jazz Project to adapt her poems to the stage and combine them with some jazz in the work Retro Love. So where are we going to start this morning? If we're talking about jazz and film, we have to start with some Elmer Bernstein and the man with golden arm.
right, so we had a double shot there of some soundtrack music composed by Elmer Bernstein, and that was from Sweet Smell of Success, a film from 1957 that featured Burt Lancaster and Tony Curtis looking at the, the seamy side of, of journalism. That was, uh, was called Hot Dogs and Juice from like, Sweet Smell of Success from 1957. Before that, we started the show off with The Man with the Golden Arm, directed by Otto Preminger, starring uh, Frank Sinatra as a bebop drummer. So Elmer Bernstein definitely found a, a great vehicle for him to be able to do a, an amazing soundtrack for that film. So as I mentioned, we're talking about jazz and film today, but also poetry, because uh, here in Philadelphia, we are we are celebrating both in this lovely month of April. We're going to be listening to something from a, a more recent film that was also about journalism, uh, directed and uh, by and George Clooney. And there's a really gorgeous uh, soundtrack, uh, all featuring music by Diane Reeves. Uh, the film was Good Night and Good Luck. Uh, yeah, it was just a really interesting film that was looking at um, the career of uh, television journalist uh, Edward R. Murrow. So anyway, we're going to take a listen to uh, one of these um, songs by Diana Reeves and then going to be bringing in uh, Beth Feldman Brandt for our conversation this morning. So anyway, enjoy. The buzzard took a monkey for a ride in the air The monkey thought that everything was on the square the buzzard tried to throw the monkey off his back. The monkey grabbed his neck and said, Now, listen, Jack, straighten up and fly right. Straighten up and stay right. Straighten up and fly right Cool down, Papa, don't you blow your top Ain't no use in diving What's the use in jiving? Straighten up and fly right Cool down, Papa, don't you blow your top The buzzer told the monkey You are choking me Release your hold and I will set you free The monkey looked the buzzard right is touching but it sounds like a lie oh, straighten up and fly right straighten up and stay right straighten up and fly right cool down Our guest today is poet and performer Beth Feldman Brandt, whose writing has investigated such diverse themes as old maps to herbal remedies. She's the author of Sage and Solace, both collaborations with visual artist Claire Owen. Her song cycle, Wind Rose, is being set to music by Philadelphia composer Andrew Litz. We're going to be talking with her about her latest project, Retro Love, that combines poetry, songs, stories, and jazz and captures sweet and sexy reminiscences of relationships before the internet. It was originally commissioned by the Philadelphia Jazz Project and played to sold-out houses in Philadelphia in June 2016. Beth, it's a pleasure to have you here on WPPM. Welcome. Thank you for having me. It's so great. We're, we're having you here for a lot of reasons. We love Retro Love, and it's 
April. It's Poetry Month and Jazz Month. And what better time to talk about this project that combines both of those elements. Where did you come up with the idea to talk about romance before the internet? And when did you know you wanted to develop it into a stage piece? I was having dinner with my kids who are 20-somethings, and I was trying to explain to them dating before you had an answering machine. (laughs) And they just looked at me like, what? Like (laughs) I was talking about dinosaurs or something. And uh, we were away on vacation, and so every morning I just started writing, oh, I could write about songs, and I could write about trying to remember what someone looked like after you went on a date, and I could write about... Uh, sending letters and hoping someone sent you a letter if they went away. Uh, And then I was asked by Philly Jazz Project to participate in one of their mixtapes. And Homer Jackson from Philly Jazz Project said, you got to do a show. This has to be a show. And I said, I don't even read my own poetry in my writing group. (laughs) I don't do this. I'm not going to do a show. I'm not going to be in a show. And he was just convinced. And he uh, supported the project, talked me into it. Uh, Julia Lopez from Philly Jazz helped me become a performer along with some other great people. Oh, gosh. When I start talking about it, so many people helped me. And then Jen Childs from 1812 Productions. I had breakfast with her and I said, how do you write a script? I have no idea how to do this. Uh, And she gave me a lot of really good tips. And uh, the rest is on stage. That's I had no idea that this was sort of like your debut as a a performer on stage. It was nerve wracking, really (laughs) nerve wracking. Well, you were backed up by some pretty awesome women. If you could talk about your retro love collaborators, uh, uh, Monette Sudler and Barry Moore, uh, award-winning singer and actress Joylette Harris, they were they were nice to have as uh, at your side. Can you can you talk about how you convinced them to work with you and what that process was like developing the work? I um, had followed Monette Sudler forever, and I knew that I wanted her to be the music director and the composer for the music. And I was trying to figure out how I could meet her because I've never met her and did a poetry reading of the Retro Love poems at Trebita Mason's studio, who happens to be Manette's dear friend. And Manette Sudler sat down next to me. And I thought, the universe has sent me this woman to work <laughs> on the show. And I said to her, I'm going to be doing a show if you like the poems. And it took about a year. She was the Kimmel Center's jazz artist that year. And she said, I'm not saying no, I'm just saying, I can't think about it right now. And so I like to say I benevolently stalked her. I just (laughs) went everywhere she performed and I sent her poems and uh, wound up getting her yes to be on the project, which was beyond a gift. And then as the project developed, we realized that we needed an actress who could sing, not a jazz singer. There was too much memorizing and lines and back and forth. And so I asked uh, one friend and she said, I don't sing the way you need somebody to sing, but I have this friend. And she hooked me up with Joylette, who really took a chance on the show, which really was barely written yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then we all just pulled it together. So when you say you just pulled it together, talk, pull that apart a little bit. So <laughs> what, what, what was the process? How did you all kind of work together? Yes, I started, I had, you know, eight poems, the original eight, as we call them, the original eight retro love poems took 12 minutes. So I needed a whole evening show. Started to write lyrics for songs uh, that Manette then set to music. Um, We mined Manette's catalog and pulled some songs, original songs of hers for the show. And then I had this idea. I didn't date a whole lot. I didn't have a whole (laughs) lot of like amazing retro love stories. And so I decided I would create retro love Mad Libs. And they were sort of a fill in the blank. The year was this. I first, we first met here and I first noticed this and this was our favorite song and this is our favorite picture. And I started distributing these, um, including uh, when Yolanda Wisher, the Poet Laureate, did the City of Poetry at the Art Museum that was one of the stations you could stop and do a, a Mad Lib. So I had dozens of other people's stories that I put into these vignettes. Just for folks that may not be, what is a Mad Lib? So a Mad Lib, I don't know if you remember, um, you'd sort of your parents would give them to you in the car on a long drive. And it's sort of this, this blind fill in the blank where they say, give me a noun and an adjective and whatever. And then you read it back and it's cracks up because you don't know what you're putting in. This was a little different, but it was 
a fill in the blank. So it would say, um, my favorite picture is blank and we're doing this and it reminds me of this and people would fill in the blanks. And then I pulled those stories, which were poignant and funny and uh, really reminisced about how, how people met, whether it was in the 40s or in the 90s. Is there a particular song in the cycle that is a, a good example of the, the Mad Lib that we could play? Uh, I really like The Year Was, which is towards the beginning of the show and tells how people met. All right, let's take a listen. <laughs> the year was 1981. We met at the Uptown Theater, and what I noticed was her wedding ring. I thought, mm-mm, trouble. The year was 1974. We met at Carmen's Skating Rink, and what I noticed was his laugh. And I thought, oh, he loves life. The year was 1978, we met at work, and what I noticed was his repairman's jacket. I thought, hmm, a fixer. (laughs) I thought, he's different. I thought, can she really be this nice? I thought, I totally want this person. I thought, do I dare? So you are listening to an interview here with Beth Feldman Brandt, uh, poet and I guess playwright, you know, with Retro Love. And that was an excerpt from the soon to be released album of the show Retro Love. And that was uh, the year was an, an example of how they uh, how she incorporated Mad Libs into into that uh, into that piece. How did you enjoy Let Decide? Like who would do which one, and kind of the the the, the comic timing. There's actually some really important comic timing to this. Everyone decided kind of early on that I was sort of the Bob Newhart, <laughs> like sort of the deadpan. It's you know I'm not wildly demonstrative. <laughs> I was sort of the straight woman, and Joy Let has this. Ama- Massive personality. And so as we went through both the back and forth lines and who did which poem, there were poems where I thought, oh, you're going to do this so much better than I'm going to do it. And she did. (laughs) And then some of the ones that were a little quieter or sardonic or whatever I took. And and we rehearsed a lot. We rehearsed a lot, especially because I had never been on stage like that before. So they were really patient. Uh, and generous through the whole process. Why jazz? You know, as as a genre of music to to put with this is. Had you done anything with jazz and poetry before, or was this kind of uh, a first? This was a first for me. I think certainly Homer Jackson and Philadelphia Jazz Project saw the potential, and there is something about poetry and jazz where you have a. You have a structure and you have a form and then you kind of zing off. And so there are a lot of ways that it it was really complimentary. And we had a whole jazz band on stage with us. And so when we did the poems that some of which had music with them, Manette would listen to it, miraculously just play something that she thought suited the poem. Everybody else would just pick it up and play it. So you rehearsed with, did you rehearse with the band um, or workshop with the band before going on stage or was it, were they just there the first, when you were like just sort of teching for the show? Manette, Joylette and I rehearsed a lot, you know, at Joylette's house and I'd bring dinner and we'd work on the show. And then Manette, in addition to being the composer, did all the, uh, the music direction, the arranging. And then we had uh, two or three big rehearsals with the whole band. Well, why not? I'd like to, to play maybe one of those songs that features Monet and, and, and a poem by, by you. And I, and I kind of, I like this one uh, being that, you know, we're talking here on, on Pulling Focus about film and, and film scores. And, and this one uh, feels very kind of film noir-y, <laughs> crime jazzy to me. So let's take a listen to this one and then we can talk about it. The Call I want to slow dial you. Finger hooked, number by number, waiting on each click sprung, inhale, exhalation. I want to cradle the handset, 
hand curled, ear cupped, mouth encircled, perforations. I want the tintinabulation. One, two, three rings before the connection. I want... Hello, who's calling, please? I want to send my words down the rainbow-sheathed copper threads, each carrying its own consonant. I want to be clear. I want a direct extension, a landline anchor. I want hardwired. Pick up. So talk a little bit about the call. What were you channeling when you when you did that? You know, calling somebody was so momentous. And um, every time I did, I did the Retro Love poems a lot before we did the show, kind of taking them out for a run. And people always had to come up after and tell me their story. And this guy comes up and he says, we had one phone. It was in the kitchen. I had five sisters. (laughs) And you'd have to stand in the kitchen. And my girlfriend would say, why aren't you saying sweet nothings to me? And he'd say, because I'm in the kitchen with my five sisters and my mother. It, when you got the phone, kind of you pulled the cord in the hall or you pulled the phone into a closet and you had that heft of a, a handset in your hand um, and you were kind of hunched over talking to someone. You know, it was pretty hot. <laughs> what are some, you, you called the show Retro Love. What are some of the other retro elements that you... Um, put into the forefront here? What are some of those other um, memories? Mostly the things just took longer. You had to be more patient. Uh, there's, a, there's a poem called After the Date. You'd go out on a date with someone and you'd wait for the next date. You'd be like, what did they look like? You, you know, you couldn't look up on Facebook and see their whole life. And, and they'd open the door and you'd, sometimes you'd say, oh, a little better <laughs> than I remembered or, oh, not as good as I remembered. You wrote this as a result of a conversation with your with your kids about answering machines. What was their response to the show? And obviously this show is probably uh, resonating with folks who have a similar experience. But what about younger folks? Like, have you what, what's been the response? I've been surprised. I really thought sort of 20 somethings, even 30 somethings, um, as we say in the beginning of the show, for some people it's nostalgia and for some it's a history lesson. Yeah, I like that. And so, but they still connect in their own way with waiting for someone to call you and taking a picture with somebody, even though they take 5,000 pictures with somebody. And so I think that basic emotion and that energy of first meeting somebody and you hope it works out and maybe you fall in love and then you have a misunderstanding still resonates with people, even if the exact situation's a little different. Gotcha. This, um, I'm going to play another, another uh, clip from a song. And I was just, um, I'm curious if in some ways, well, I can make anything seem like it's cinematic, but do you take any influence or inspiration from, from the movies for any of these poems? Well, certainly from the songs, I'm a, I'm a total musical lover movie musicals and so you know there's a swing tune that to me is totally Fred Astaire stuff there's a ballad intended to be like something from Carousel or Oklahoma and there's some torch songs that would be in those smoky kind of Lena Horne movies and so we definitely tried to hit different eras so that you're taken through this relationship with a, you know, a swing tune and a 50s girl group pop tune and definitely specific movies like that that really hit it for me. I didn't ask that question, but but you bring up um, something that I, I did want to ask. Is there an arc to this? So is this sort of like the story of a relationship or how do you sort of see the, the album and the play? There's a definite arc from, you know, first meeting all the way to the last section, which is called Looking Back. It's it was funny, the first ending that I wrote, the first poem that I wrote to end was called Two Gifts, and it was that these these two people who could be any any gender, any combination of people that's never defined in the whole show, both wear something that's been given to them from this person long ago. 
And I showed it to a couple of people and they said, they don't end up together? You can't do that. <laughs> so I ditched that piece. Um, and so in this, they are together. It's many years later. They're looking back on everything that they've been through. Um, but people really were not going to stand for this just being a good memory. So I actually changed the end of the show. To a happy ending? It's a happy ending. Okay. There's some bumps in the road, but there's <laughs> okay. definitely, there's sort of a more adult, uh, mellower uh, togetherness at the end of the show. Okay, cool. Well, let me play this one piece that, just a little excerpt from this that references a couple film titles. Would you look this way? It doesn't have to be a long look. Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall in Key Largo. Or, or one filled with longing. Dr. Zhivago and Laura on the train platform in the bitter cold. A glance is enough so I can see the color of your eyes. Would you laugh with me? I'm not witty, but the guy in the cowboy hat dancing with the girl in the cowboy boots to the clash might be worth a flash of your smile. I won't want too much. I've been fooled too many times. Too much Bonnie blues, too much you done me wrong to want sweet heaven above romance, but would you dance with me? Not all Luther or Marvin Gaye, not yet anyway, <laughs> but maybe some earth, wind, and fire would move you close enough to breathe your name in my ear. Dance a little closer so I can catch your scent. I will content myself with just a whiff of love. If your hand could steady me as we walk, if your eyes could find mine over the crowd, I, I won't want too much. Hey, can I, can I call you? That was really lovely. Talk a little bit about your poetry, your process and your, your influences. How long have you been writing and do you write every day? Oh, like, how I do wish you... <laughs> I wrote every day. Um, I haven't been writing that long, relatively. Um, I'm of a certain vintage. I didn't start writing until I was in my 40s. I like working within a structure of a project. So I did a piece, Sage, that was based on this old herbal text from the 1600s. Uh, I did another part uh, with uh, the Center for Art and Wood and Bartram's Gardens. And those were both collaborations with the visual artist Claire Owen, where I was creating a body of work for a book or an exhibit Really, my life isn't that interesting that I can just wake up in the morning and say, oh, let me write a poem. Uh, so the, the retro love, because it started just with these eight poems, honest to goodness, I wrote two weeks while on vacation because another project I was working on was stalled. And I thought, well, nobody's ever going to see these. I'm just going to write them for fun. Every day I was like, oh, I could do about a record. I could do about a camera. I get most of my work done when I'm away. And if I can just go away and be in the writing head and space, I can do a poem a day if I'm away. And if I'm home, it's really hard. Um, and so right now I'm kind of ranging around for what my next theme or my next project's going to be. It's interesting. You seem to like to collaborate, you know, so you're, you're a poet, you're, you're, you're a writer, but you aren't necessarily the finished work isn't one that's a singular piece of work that, you know, it, you, you're doing something in collaboration with people. And, and why do you think that that is? I like company. <laughs> um, you know, the writing certainly happens alone. I'm just, I'm really intrigued by other artists and all kinds of artists. And so to have the chance to work with a visual artist or to work with a collection or a text or or an incredible musicians, you know, like Monad and Joy Ladd and see what we can make together. When I take all those personality tests, I'm always the, pe the person who gets your energy from being around other people. Mm -hmm. So that kind of, the actual writing of poetry uh, is actually really hard for me. It's really hard to make myself sit down in a room by myself and write. And then I love being out with other people and doing it and getting that energy and then going back and doing the hard work of writing it. But uh, just closing myself in a room, unless I'm away with an intention to get something done, is is really hard, actually, for me. Mm -hmm. Is talking, wanting to get back a little bit to the 
to the music and 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 the the great work of Monet. And is there a particular song um, that you would want us to make sure we share with folks? Uh, there's a song of hers that she did uh, both lyrics and music called "I Wonder Why," which just, whew! I mean, we all had to take a breath after after Joylet sang this just really warm, sultry, beautiful song. All right, cool. Let's um, let's take a listen.
Beth, I want to thank you again for being here on Pulling Focus and talking about this really great project. How can folks find out more about it? They can jump on my website, brantwords.com, and check out on the page, on the stage, learn more about upcoming retro events. And you're hoping to perform it again. We are. So we're always um, looking for other venues, and uh, we seem to be big for Valentine's Day. Okay. Well, hopefully (laughs) folks will get a chance to see it on stage before then, but definitely uh, keep an eye on the website. And the great thing is we're also going to be doing a sneak preview and playing the whole um, kind of, it's going to be a sneak preview of the album, and we're going to be playing that here on WPPM this month, and that's going to be on Saturday, April 29th at 1 o'clock here on WPPM 106.5. In kind of keeping with the, the theme of pulling focus and our ties to uh, to movies and, and cinema, is there a, a particular song from the album that you can maybe take us out on and, and talk a little bit about its connection, if there is one, to film? It's called Picture This, so I'm hoping that there might be there a connection. Is. As I said, I'm, I'm a huge movie musical fan, and so there was always that moment in the musicals where the characters are kind of thinking maybe they're going to get together, maybe they could be in love, but they're already in love, but they're not really going there. Uh, so a song like uh, People Will Say We're In Love from Oklahoma or If I Loved You from Carousel. And so this song, Picture This, is sort of that moment where you think, Ah, maybe something could happen with this person, and one of you is saying, "Ah, picture what this could be like," uh, and it's sort of a ballad and sort of that, hmm, sense of possibility moment. All right, awesome. Well, let's take a listen to this. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Picture this: it's daybreak and the moon shines and the sun glows. And I'm holding you in our dream home. Picture this, it's morning and there's birdsong. And there's oranges on the windowsill of our dream home. I don't know how we'll get there, but we'll make it real, make it true, make it true.
won't end on a sorrowful note Though by tomorrow you're gone The song is ended But as the songwriter wrote The melody lingers on They may take you from me I'll miss your fond caress But though they take you from me I'll still possess The way you wear your hat The way you sip your tea The memory of all that Oh no, they can't take that away from me The way your smile just beams The way you sing off key The way you haunt my dreams No, no, they can't take that away from me We may never, never meet again On the bumpy road to But I'll always, always keep the memory of The way you hold your knife The way we dance till three The way you change my life No, no, they can't take that away from me No, they can't take that away It's Fred Astaire performing They Can't Take That Away From Me from the George and Ira Gershwin uh, composed song from the film Shall We Dance in 1937. That was one of the film song titles that Beth Feldman Brandt and I talked a bit about as she was discussing some of her influences for her poems and now stage play and forthcoming album Retro Love. Really enjoyed having an opportunity to talk with her here in the WPPM studio. You're listening to Pulling Focus. I'm your host, Gretchen Clausing, here. And as always, we're putting film in the forefront of the conversation and focusing on some great film music. In addition to talking about poetry, we're talking about jazz because it's Jazz Appreciation Month here in Philadelphia. And that gives us an opportunity to talk about all kinds of cool and crime jazzy kind of stuff. So before we get back into the music, I'm going to just dip into our repertory film calendar as we like to do here on a regular basis. Just try and let folks know about some interesting things that are happening Uh, on Friday, April 21st at 7 PM scribe video center is going to be presenting a screening called SOS save our schools as part of their Storyville screening series. It was programmed in collaboration with Marva Sumlin and it looks at how for years the state run Philadelphia public school system has been in crisis uh, due to funding cuts that have left schools understaffed and underfunded, resulting in low test scores and and numerous school closings. There'll be a number of short films featured as part of this screening, including uh, William Penn High School, the story of a great school's promise, Imani, that is uh, explores some of the issues uh, underlying the, the crisis here. Community Schools Defining Community Control, which was made by uh, media fellows from the Media Mobilizing Project, and Room for Peace by uh, Nick Carney that shows groups and institutions dedicated to providing solutions and hope for the future of Philadelphia schools. So that's at Scribe on Friday 21st at 7. And then this isn't so much a, a film, but I think it just sounds like such a cool concept. It's uh, some special kind of multidisciplinary performance slash exhibitions uh, that are taking place at the Free Library. They're presenting this series called We the Detectives, which looks to explore the art of crime and detection through these uh, exhibits and multifaceted immersive theatrical experiences. Let's see. So Becoming the Detective, the Making of a Genre, and Clever Criminals and Daring Detectives draw from the rich collections of the Free Library and the Rosenbach to bring crime stories front and center. And there's a performance called Gumshoe, which is produced by New Paradise Laboratories, and it runs through May 7th. And basically, you are the participants in person or on your mobile phone. It's a captivating whodunit. And anyway, it just sounds really cool. So to find out more information about Gumshoe and about We the Detectives, just go to freelibrary.org. And because that got me in kind of a 
detective mood. Uh, we have to play some Mancini, right? We're talking about film jazz. We got to play some Henry Mancini. So here's the title track to the Orson Welles film noir, Touch of Evil. <laughs> Everybody's clear now. We don't have to worry about y'all. Go ahead, play yourselves. Bonaceda, Senorina, Bonaceda. It is time to say goodnight to Napoli. Though it's hard for us to whisper, Bonaceda, with that old moon above the Mediterranean Sea. In the morning, Senorina will go walking Where the mountains help the sun come into sight And by the little jewelry shop we'll stop and linger While I buy a wedding ring for your finger In the meantime, let me tell you that I love you Bonaceda, Senorina, kiss me goodnight Bonaceda, Senorina Kiss me goodnight, but do that, do that, do that, but bone a money boat, but do the battle boat, bone sailor, Sandinina, bone sailor. It is time to say goodnight to Napoli. Though it's hard for us to whisper, 
up on a cedar With that old moon above I'm ready to rain and see mm, In the morning, senorita We'll go walking Where the mountains help the sun Come into sight And by the little jewelry shop We'll stop and linger While I buy a wedding ring All right, we have Louis Prima singing Buena Sera from the soundtrack from the Stanley Tucci and Campbell Scott directed film Big Night. It was all about getting ready for a big night where Louis Prima was supposed to show up for that big dinner. You're listening to Pulling Focus here on WPPM, and we are looking at jazz in film. And we've only just scratched the surface. Uh, Before that, we um, also heard the opening theme to uh, Touch of Evil by Henry Mancini. Going to be getting out of here. If you like what you hear, you can check us on Facebook at the Pulling Focus Facebook page. You can go to our Mixcloud page, Pulling Focus, to hear past shows. Email us if you have suggestions for future programs or things that we should highlight in the repertory calendar at pullingfocusradio at gmail.com. Again, I'm your host, Gretchen Clausing. Pleasure to be with you here each week. And we're going to head out with something from Miles Davis. This was an improvised score to the film from Louis Mahl. This is a beautiful, eerie, moody film score uh, improvised live to the film featuring Miles Davis. So again, you're listening to Pulling Focus and look forward to talking to you next time. Bye.